Thank you, Jesus. Let's just honor him and lift him up this morning, church. Lift up your voices to him. Father, we thank you. There's something about the name of Jesus. There's something about the name of Jesus that just changes things. And it is your name that we lift up today. And our prayer is that, God, your name would be magnified in our own hearts and minds, Lord God. Above everything else, Lord. Above everything else, Lord Jesus. We throw off the things that weigh us down. We throw off the sin that entangles us. And God, we receive you and only you. We thank you, Father. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God, you are so good. You are so good, Lord. We worship you. And I don't know if, uh, you can be seated if you'd like, but I don't know if you felt just a shift in the atmosphere today like I have. But I know that there is a shift and I know that it's a direct response of God into what has been happening throughout the week. Now, a few weeks ago, we began this series entitled Step Into the Ring. And we were talking about how we can be as busy as anyone else, even in ministry or in religious activities. But unless we are engaged in prayer, then we are living a spiritually passive life. And there's only one way to truly engage with him and to engage in spiritual warfare, and that is through prayer. And it's time for the church to step up, to stop being a spectator sitting ringside, but instead to step into the ring and engage in the battle. And many of you have chosen to do that during this time of prayer and fasting. Some of you, maybe you began fasting for the first time in your life. Some of you, maybe your prayer life was very sporadic, but you've stepped it up over this past week and you've engaged him. And now we're just beginning to get just a tiny glimpse, just a little taste of what can be. And, and I felt it in the atmosphere today as we were worshiping. There was just a little something extra. There was a little bit more energy in the room, some life in the room. And why is that? Is it because your pastor is fasting and praying? Maybe a little, but it's more about the fact that the people are fasting and praying. There's something about when God's people humble themselves and pray, the scripture says, where he responds to that prayer and it says he will forgive us of our sins and he will heal our land. And so a fighter doesn't just watch a fight. He doesn't just talk about the fight. He doesn't just study the art of fighting, but a fighter is not a fighter unless he steps into the ring. And it's time for us to step in the ring as a church. And last week, I preached a message entitled Spar. We talked about the sparring process in boxing where a fighter, he doesn't just step into the ring every few months when he has another match. No, he steps into the ring often with a sparring partner and with his trainer in his corner, giving him instructions throughout the process, forming an intimate relationship with his coach and um, being trained up to do battle. And prayer has to be so much more than a sporadic plea for help in times of crisis. It must become what we talked about last week as a frequent, focused fellowship with the Father. 
frequent. We got to come to him often, focused. We need to come to him undistracted and our hearts solely his. And fellowship, it needs to be a time of intimacy for it is out of that intimacy that flows everything that he wants to give us. And now at the end of the message, I introduced fasting as a part of that training process. And that's where I want to spend some time today. That part of the training process is not just the the sparring that happens within the ring, but something called road work outside of the ring. See, in boxing, they call the training like you see in the Rocky movies. Remember, he's jogging through the town, right? And that inspirational song is playing. And then he hits the stairs. And what does he do when he hits the stairs? He picks up his pace and he sprints up those stairs as fast as he can. He gets to the top. He jumps up and down triumphantly. What is Rocky doing in that scene in the movie? He's building up his stamina, Because when you go toe-to-toe with a championship-level fighter in the ring that could possibly go 15 rounds, it's going to cost you everything you've got. And so the fighter trains in this so-called road work in a way to mimic the same type of energy that is expended in an actual fight. Listen to this. In a boxing match, they say that approximately 75% of the fighter's time is spent expending anaerobic energy. What that means is short, sudden burst of energy. You like that? I look pretty dangerous, don't I? Right? And then about 25% of aerobic energy. How many of you are familiar with that word, aerobics, right? Right? Because that is just the long, steady, uh, extended uh, energy that we do. And so that builds up our endurance. But it wouldn't make sense for a fighter to just only jog, Right? Because he could jog all day, but that's not going to prepare him for just the barrage of combinations that's going to come at him as he has to quickly get out of the way. The short burst of sudden injury, the flurry of punches that he himself will throw. And so he has to mix in sprints and maybe he's going to shadow box while he fights. Maybe he's going to go up the rocky stairs, whatever it is. But in the Christian life, fasting is to the Christian as road work is to the fighter. Do you hear me? Fasting is to the Christian as road work is to the fighter. See, as Christians, we're called upon to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And you know, one one of the words used to describe the fruit of the Spirit is this, self-control. Under life's difficult circumstances, we're called to respond as Christ would respond, even when the conditions are not perfect. In fact, we're supposed to respond like Christ would when the conditions are completely unideal, against us, harsh, difficult, the pressure is on. But if we are not regularly training our bodies to obey the Spirit and be in submission to the Spirit, then it's unlikely that we will be ready to respond appropriately when the time of pressure comes upon us. For example, we're called to live disciplined lives, the scripture says. It says, be patient with one another. Make allowance for each other's faults. It says to forgive those who despitefully use you and pray for your enemies and love, for your, love your enemies. But if we struggle to even miss a meal, what are the chances we're going to be able to respond like Christ in these scenarios. This is why we must do the road work. This is why the Christian 
must fast. And I want to challenge you with that this morning. That's the number one basic point of this message is to do the road work. Make fasting a part of your life. Now, here's what I want to do. We want to go to our tables right now. We're going to discuss this. How has fasting played a significant role in your life as a Christian? And more specifically, for those of you that have joined us on this journey, how has fasting impacted your life this week? So let's go ahead and share at our tables. And then I've got someone else who wants to share to you guys as well. All right, awesome. No doubt that was not enough time. So I do apologize. Um, but what I would love to, uh, this morning, I actually asked um, Autumn if she would share a little bit about her experience uh, since this last week of this time of fasting and prayer for her. And uh, she called me a couple different times, actually, to just express just the excitement of what God was doing in her life. Um, not all of it was just happy-go-lucky. Some of it was heavy stuff, too, right? And I'm not sure what she's going to share with us today, which part, but I'd like to uh, have you guys give your attention to Autumn. You can come up here. You can stay at your table, whatever you're more comfortable with. Is the light on? There is a green light. Okay, there we go. Perfect. Uh, um, so, okay. So there was a lot, and it's, I was really asking God, please, just what do you want me to say? Because I want this to be you and not me. So right now I'm just praying I decrease what he increases. Mm-hmm. And if I get emotional, something he showed me is that's my passion. That's my passion for him. So Thursday morning, um, I had set my alarm for 3.45 a.m. to get up and get in my prayer closet. At 3 a.m., I was awoken. Um, I must have been some of a dream, and I saw our outside door. It was dark outside, but the, the light was on it, and it was just, it was shaking. And I couldn't, but it was because someone was pounding on it. Um, and it woke me up out of a dead sleep. So, you know, I did my business, came back to bed, and I'm like, okay, that's a little weird. And then I realized, oh my gosh, Jesus, you're not just knocking. See, when we hear knocking on the door, he's not just knocking. He's earnestly seeking after us to the point that my front door was shaking. So I stayed in bed because remember, it's 3 a.m. My alarm's going off at 3.45. Should I gotten up? Probably. But that's, that, that, that's, what, that's what happened. So I started with the song that came to me is there's power in his name to break chains. And I was just saying it over and over again. There's power in your name to break chains. And the next thing I know is I must have dozed off because now I'm woken by the snapping of fingers. Autumn, snap out of your slumber. Snap out of your slumber. What does that remind you of? The three disciples at the Garden of Gethsemane. Can you right. not stay awake for an hour and keep watch and pray? Yeah, I still didn't get out of bed, but I didn't fall asleep because I had 15 more minutes and like, I was comfortable. Look, I'm being honest. Should I have gotten out? Oh, yeah. But I did get out at 345. I went into my prayer closet and guess what? The power of his name. That's what he spoke to me about. The power of his name that heals. The power of his name that breaks chains. The power of his name that makes me feel loved. It's not the name of Jesus because 
there's many called Jesus, right? Many have been named Jesus. It's the man behind that name. Mm. Yeah. And he wants me to go and pursue him. Look, it might have been about me, but I believe this is corporately too. He wants us to pursue him earnestly. He's always knocking. And he's saying, you don't have to make it complicated. See, that's what happens with me. I feel like I have to be able to say things in a way that, I don't know, it just sounds grandeur or something. If you know me, I'm not grandeur. I say things weird. I'm different. And that's okay. Right. But what he was saying is don't make it difficult. In your life, if you're going through a season, just utter my name. Because demons are subject to his name. Amen. Principalities and darkness are subject to his name. Amen. You want to see chains broken? You don't know what to say. You don't have the words. Jesus! That's right. I had so much passion. And I'm like, God, I don't want this to be emotion. Mm-mm, Autumn, this is passion. The same passion I had for you when I went to the cross. Mm. Passion is what got me there. That's right. Because no man in his physical being that was brutalized to the point that he was could have endured it. Mm -hmm. It was the passion that he knew what was going to come from it. That's right. The passion of the cross, the passion of the resurrection. He then reminded me of this memory. I was probably 12. I decided to go out to our pool in the backyard and pray, God, let me walk on water. <laughs> I got on the first step, and I'm like, it's okay. My foot's going to have to go on the water a little bit. Second step, no. <laughs> I didn't walk on water. <laughs> and I went to him, and I was like, what are you saying to me about this Saturday morning? And he said, I want you to cry out. Just like Peter took his eyes off me, he knew who to cry out to as he was sinking. Even when he wasn't seeking, he knew to look upon me and cry out, cry out to me. Jesus, look, if the name of Jesus isn't bringing and stirring up in passion in you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you to ask him why. Mm. Yep. That's what he challenged me. And that's what I think was the corporate part. Because when he said, cry out, Isaiah 58, that's what came out to me. That my praise would be worthy. Because when I'm in the midst of a desert, there is nothing he is incapable of accomplishing when I offer him holy worship. Yeah. He's earnestly seeking you. Amen. Are you going to seek him back? Yeah. Look, I have too much to lose not to come up here anymore mm -hmm. with the passion because I recognize what he did for me on the cross. He took the wrath of God for my sin yep. and he paid the price. Do we really grasp that? Because if we do, it's not about emotion, but it is sure about passion. So if I get loud, just love me <laughs> because I'm passionate about my Savior. I love him. I wanted him to restore love in me for him. I want faith like the, like the woman with the issue of blood where I can touch him and immediately know that I'm healed because I have faith in what he says he will do. Yes. That is why it was counted as righteousness to Abraham because he knew that God would do what he said he would do. He's the only one. I'm going to fail you. He is never going to fail us. 
Amen. So Amen. I hope you guys get passionate. Miss Doris was dancing last Sunday. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Joe. Absolutely. Thank you. I know I went on, but I am so eager. Yeah. Eager. Amen. And I don't want it to stop. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Let's give her a hand. So why do I have Aaron? Uh, I almost called her Aaron. That's random. Why do I have Autumn share with you this morning? Uh, well, I feel like when I introduced a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting last week, that some of you immediately thought to yourself, mm, that's not for me. Or maybe you're of the belief that that's reserved for pastors. That's reserved for evangelists. That's reserved for missionaries, those who give up their whole lives to move to China and be a part of the underground church, right? That's for those people. I'll keep my 15-minute devotional time uh, with my YouVersion Bible app and just call it a day. This message is for you. This morning, I want to give you five ways that fasting can be the roadwork training that prepares you for the spiritual battles that lie ahead for each and every one of you, whether you want them or not. Remember we talked about this week one, whether you choose to engage in the battle or not, either you choose to engage or it will find its way to your front door. And so number one, fasting elevates the spirit above the body. This is essential. This is the first step. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. And you cannot have faith in God if you are trusting in the flesh. If you put the flesh above the spirit. And when we fast, it's an exercise that helps us elevate the spirit above the body. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. I love how he words that right there. It's, it's kind of what Autumn was just doing with us, wasn't she? Her passion was coming out because she was pleading with us to take that next step. And here Paul says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. That means let him be in charge of your body. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, he says, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way. Somebody say the way. The way. Not one of the ways, but the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Fasting is a way that we can give our bodies to God. A lot of creatures have bodies. Animals have bodies, but they don't have spirits. And so instinct determines their behavior. Biology determines their behavior. Now we, as humans, we have bodies, so we also have these instincts, but we also have spirits. And if we do not discipline our bodies, then instead of living by the spirit, we end up living as beasts. We end up living as animals. Paul says in Philippians, for I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. There's that passion again. 
that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. Hmm. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. If you're somebody who struggles uh, to think outside of the body and to, and, to, and to consider spiritual things, and it feels like at times that your stomach is your God. This is what happens naturally when we allow the body to be elevated above the spirit. And fasting is a tool we can use to bring things back into proper balance so that we don't drift that direction. What I just read to you in Philippians is the destiny of all those who live according to the flesh and instead of walking according to the spirit. And fasting helps us get there. See, a living sacrifice is a body that is no longer in the driver's seat. And so when we surrender our lives to God, we're saying to our body, you're not in charge. Let go of the wheel because you're not driving this thing. But here's what's crazy is when you do that, see, that's something that happens at salvation, right? We surrender our lives to Jesus and we repent of our sins, which means a changing of our mind, right? Which is what Paul said. This is how we transform ourselves. We change the way we think. We change our mind. But even then... The body will continue to try to influence the direction that we go from the back seat. How many of you just love backseat drivers, right? The ones that comment on how fast you're going or how slow or quickly you brake, right? Or the person in the passenger seat that has that imaginary brake pedal, right? And it's just every time they do that, it like insults you. And you're just like, I'm not going to kill us, okay? I've never killed anyone before, right? And how many of you parents have had that moment with your kids where they are acting up in the back seat so much that you are furious? You keep turning around. You've tried to reach them and smack them. I know none of you do that, right? And in the process, you're so caught up in their behavior that you actually drift into the other lane. And then you catch yourself and you jerk it back. And instead of apologizing for almost killing everyone, you blame that on the kids too, right? It's your fault. See what you did? You almost killed us all with your behavior. Now, I won't pick on him too hard, but my son Andrew uh, used to have a problem with putting on his seatbelt when he was little. And he would lie about it. I'd be like, Andrew, are you buckled up? And he'd be like, yes. And then luckily his siblings would rat him out. No, he's not. He's lying. He's not wearing his seatbelt. So this used to be a battle that go on and on. I'd be like, buckle up, dude, buckle up. For him, I think it was kind of like a control thing. Like, let's see if I can outlast dad. And so we'd sit there, and we could never leave on time because I couldn't get my son to buckle up his seatbelt. Well, one day he learned his lesson. One day I decided I had had enough of it. I am not going to allow this backseat driver to make us late to something again. And so I said, buckle up. And he said, I am. And his sibling said, no, he's not. And I said, okay, I'll just take your word for it, buddy. And I took off. About 20 yards down the road, I slammed on the brakes. Whap! He goes flying into the seat in front of him. And I go, oh, I'm sorry, son. I thought you were buckled. You might want to put that seatbelt on. I almost hit a cat. <laughs> See, your flesh is a backseat driver. 
And as long as you allow him to be out of, out of control in your life and, and influence the control of your life, then it's going to forever hold you back from what God wants to do in your life. A backseat driver, if he's not dealt with, can become a dangerous distraction. It's imperative that the Holy Spirit remains in the driver's seat of your life. Number two, fasting brings our sin to the surface. That doesn't sound very fun, does it? Fasting takes the things that we've buried deep within and maybe tried to cover up with other things and it brings them to the surface. Um, 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourself. Somebody say examine. To see if your faith is genuine. Test yourself. Somebody say test. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Now look at Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and it exposes, somebody say exposes, our innermost thoughts and desires. Listen to this. Fasting helps us examine, test, and expose. Examine, test, and expose. See, Hebrews 4.12 here, we know it's talking about the word of God, not fasting, right? But fasting, what it does is combined with the word of God, it puts us in a position to receive the word of God, to allow it to do its work. How many of you um, uh, have seen God's word fall upon deaf ears? How many, how many of you would admit and say, I've sat through a service and I felt like his word had fallen upon my deaf ears? And fasting has a way of opening up those ears by removing the things out of our lives that distract us, that other things that we depend on. It opens up our ears so that we can receive the word of truth. It forces us into a time of self-examination. It tests our commitment and it exposes what is within See, we are a lot like a sponge. When we were designed, we were created with the ability to house God's presence. And so when we immerse ourselves in God's presence, we soak him up. And because of that, uh, how many of you know that when you're pressured in life or when things get difficult and you get squeezed, then it reveals what's inside, right? Right? And so as we spend time in prayer with God and we soak up his presence and we spend time in his word and maybe we spend time in fasting, what happens is we get full of him so that we can pour that goodness out upon other people. But here's what happens. You know, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And a a long time ago, God gave me a word about that. He said, um, a lot of times uh, we as Christians live like those people who go through a buffet and they fill up their plate with everything. It's overflowing. Then they get to the end and they realize there's prime rib, but there's no more room for the prime rib. And so what happens is we take our spongy little selves that absorbs everything and takes everything in that's going around us and we are overstimulated. We are spending hours on Netflix and social media. Um, We're eating constantly. Some of us, what we do is we actually use food to self-medicate. And so every time I'm stressed out, well, I eat something. 
right? Every time uh, I feel anxiety, then I eat something. Every time I'm feeling depressed, I eat something, right? Or maybe it's I, I, I had a rough day at work, and so I got to wind down with a beer and my favorite Netflix show, and one beer turns into two and then five, right? And one show turns into an entire season that you binge watched, right? And all these things, and even some of those things may not be sinful in and of themselves, but what they do is they occupy valuable space. And as a result, we can dip into the presence of God all we want, but there's only so much we can absorb. And now, all that's coming out is the stuff we're filling ourselves up with. Because what you put in is eventually going to come out, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what happens is we can spend all our time away from God, away from prayer, away from his presence, and whatever we're filling ourselves up with, we will continue to pour that out. But here's what's great, is when we fast, we are willingly applying pressure to ourselves so that the things that God needs to deal with are brought to the surface. They're expelled from our lives. Think about it. How often do some of us who we realize we have a real problem with anger and so um, we, we avoid certain situations, right? We leave the room before it gets too intense or um, when our kid starts pushing our buttons, it's, we pass them off to our spouse because I'm about to flip my lid on this kid right now, right? Are we dealing with our anger or are we covering it up? Are we dealing with the anger? Are we allowing God to take that anger from us or are we avoiding it? And we do this with so many different things. And part of that can be the food stuff, right? Like when I have an emotional need and it's empty and the easiest thing to do is fill it with the garbage. But that's not going to give me the true life that I was created to inhabit. And so when I fast, you know, sometimes pressure comes upon you un involuntary. But when I fast, I voluntarily apply pressure to my life. And as those things rise to the surface, well, guess what? Now I can't turn to food because I'm fasting. Now I can't run uh, to the television or to my phone because I'm fasting that as well. And so the only thing left to do is to get on my knees in prayer and to lift up my voice to my creator. And when, instead of taking the easy route, the shortcut, I will spend time in prayer. I will wait upon the Lord for the Bible says that they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. But you can't get that promise from anything else. You can't get that promise from Netflix. You can't get that promise from alcohol. You can't get that promise from food, but those that wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. So what happens is we're squeezed and God says, now that you can no longer cover up what is inside, give it to me and I'll remove it from your life. And this season, we begin to see that we don't need those things as much as we thought we did. A lot of times we can look at this and think to ourselves, man, God just wants to take all my fun away. But when we say that, we reveal our hearts that we don't believe that he's enough. And that leads me to number three. Fasting keeps Christ seated on the throne of our hearts. 
Fasting keeps Christ seated on the throne of our hearts. What that means is it keeps us treasuring the true treasure. Because things go a little wonky when we start treasuring material things a little too much. Matthew 5.3 says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, A.W. Tozer wrote this incredible book called The Pursuit of God. Orlando and I are going through it together right now, actually. I recommend every believer read it. But he says, and I think I agree with him, that the poor in spirit refers to those who, as he says, have repudiated every external thing and have rooted from their hearts all sense of possessing. In other words, they feel as though they own nothing. As it says in Acts in the early church, they felt that that, that the belongings were not their own. They shared with everyone freely. See, there's a freedom that comes with that. As much as we can desire those things and value those things, those can be the very things that keep us bound. We become slave to them. But when we release them and we have this sense that we possess nothing, that it all belongs to God, then we're free from the worries and cares that come along with these things and the obsession that ensues. When you reject the notion that you actually deserve and possess all that you have, Christ will remain unchallenged, crowned on the throne of your heart. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Listen to the wording there before I go on. He's not saying, if you give up your life for my sake, then you will prove that you are worthy of me. He's saying, if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. It means what you give up for me is so that you will receive what is real life, what is true life, what is fulfilling life. To understand that this feeling you have, this fear, this FOMO, this fear of missing out when it comes to sacrificing things and giving them up to me is the exact opposite. You need to have FOMO about the things of God. You need to fear on what you're missing out because you've allowed your life and your mind to become so cluttered with the things of this world that you'll never experience God's best for you. What a tragedy. What a shame that we would gather together on a Sunday morning for worship and the preaching of the word and simply settle for the crumbs that fall from the table when God says, I have saved a place for you at the table. It's been reserved for you. Come to the table and feast upon on me and I will give you all that you need and all that you desire. He goes on to say, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? The scripture reveals so much just how easy it is to become blinded even as followers of Jesus. How we can we too can get distracted by shiny things and forget what it's all about. But fasting is a powerful and practical way to give up your own way so that you can truly follow Christ. Tozer goes on to say in the same book, he says, our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter. 
within the human heart, things have taken over. Men have now by nature no peace within their hearts, for God is crowned there no longer. But there in the moral dusk, stubborn and aggressive usurpers fight among themselves for first place on the throne. Can you just consider that imagery right there? Each of us longs for true peace within our hearts. And the reason why it continues to be elusive to us is because we are under the delusion that it exists somewhere in this world. And as long as we turn to other things, there's an ongoing war inside of us, which is the opposite of peace. Now, the Bible says there's always a war between flesh and blood, but you can have peace in the midst of the battle when you know that you're surrendered to the winning side. But when things are at war for first place in your heart, there's constant turmoil. There's an emptiness that can never be satisfied. But fasting causes you to change what you value. We treasure secondary things and it causes us to miss out on the true treasure who is Jesus. Humanity's default is to grow weary and to become bored with our relationship with God. Um, Somebody help me because I'm making myself vulnerable right now and I'm a pastor and I'm gonna feel really judged if I'm the only one. How many of you have experienced ups and downs in your relationship with Jesus? Have you ever spent time in prayer when it felt like he wasn't there or your prayers were bouncing off the ceiling? Have you, have you ever come to church and not felt the thing? And so what happens is in our humanity, we tend to back off. Be like, man, where's God? What's up with that? And we grow cold. And this happens especially when we allow idols like just our own personal comfort. Or maybe it's the feelings themselves. You know, we can get so focused on how we feel when we come to church that if we don't feel that way, we say these silly statements like, the Holy Spirit wasn't there today. Are you kidding me? The Holy Spirit's everywhere. He's unchanging. You know what isn't unchanging? You. What attitude are you coming to church with? What's your level of expectation? What's your prayer life been like? Has your relationship with Jesus gotten boring? It may be because you're treasuring the wrong things. I'm telling you, there's nothing boring about Jesus. If Jesus was all you had, man, you'd have all the excitement in your life you need. How do I know that? Well, I know that because the angels in heaven do not have TikTok, Instagram, or Netflix. And the Bible tells us that 24-7, they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they never grow tired of it. They never grow weary of it. Why? Because when you're in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you're overwhelmed by his beauty and his power. And I'm here to tell you today that we have access to that here. But are we willing to set aside the things that we treasure so that we can more fully embrace the things of heaven. See, usually it takes a crisis to make us hungry for God. A crisis is something involuntary that makes us hungry for God, but fasting is something we choose to do to increase the hunger. 
And so just like that sponge, we voluntarily apply pressure to ourselves, expelling the impurities and making room, emptying ourselves to receive all that God has for us. Number four, fasting creates an overflow of power. Fasting creates an overflow of power. A lot of us survive off of our giftings and our talents. And we minister out of those giftings and talents. And some of us are so gifted and so talented that other people can't tell the difference. But there's a difference. Take a look at this, Luke chapter four, verse one, and then we'll skip down to verses 14 and 15. It says, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We talked about this, right? Where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. It says Jesus ate nothing all that time. I'm telling you, I get to day two, and I'm like, I'm Jesus in the wilderness, man. Like, I can't think. I've got brain fog. Like, I'm getting grouchy. I'm not sure how much longer I can do this. Jesus went 40 days, and he ate nothing all that time. And the biggest understatement in all of Scripture comes next. And he became very hungry. Jesus, I want to point out, was directed by the Holy Spirit to fast and pray. Jesus, the Son of God, could he not just come like fully endued with power and just never have to pray again? Right, we talked about this a little bit last week. But, but the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to fast and pray. You would think if there's anyone that doesn't need to fast, it's Jesus. But why would the Holy Spirit lead him into the wilderness to fast and pray? See, the Holy Spirit doesn't lead us to do something without an intention to accomplish something through it. And there was something that was accomplished in Jesus because of the fasting and the prayer. There was something that needed to take place. I would say this was for Jesus' benefit. How do I know that? Well, one of the ways I know that is he was the only one there. He didn't go with his disciples into the wilderness to fast and like, here, watch me. This is what you need to do. I don't need to do it, but you need to do it. But it says he fasted, and here's the result. In verse 14, it says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. See, when the Spirit leads you into a time of fasting, it's so you will return full of his power. Too many of us Christians are depending solely on our gifts and ministering from there. And we're missing out on the overflow that God wants us to have. Just because you're gifted doesn't mean you're overflowing with power. See, to flow in the gifts, you must know who you are. But to overflow with power, you must know who he is. Fasting does not produce power now. Understand this. Fasting doesn't produce power, but what it does is it gets the garbage out of the way so that the power can be released. It removes the blockages. And it is when Jesus becomes your most treasured possession that his power begins to flow out of you. Finally, number five, and we'll close with this. Fasting builds up your endurance. Fasting builds up your endurance. 
Romans 5, 3, and 4 says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems. How many of you are good at that? You rejoice when you run into problems. Okay, I didn't think I'd see any hands. But here's why. When we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character, I lost my spot, (laughs) strengthens our confident hope of salvation. How many of you want more endurance in your life? You need it for what you're going through right now, right? How many of you want strength of character? You want to be a person of character. How many of you want to have confident hope at all times? Okay, now keep your hand up if how many of you want to um, uh, go through trials? Anybody? And the hands go back down. But we have to understand that the two are connected. See, God will both use the involuntary trials that we face in our life, or you can be proactive and say, bring it on, Jesus, because I want to suffer for you. If that means that I can have deeper fellowship with you, if that means I can understand you more, if that means you'll give me more revelation, if that means you'll give me more power, if that means you'll rid me of these impurities and these things that have plagued me my entire life, then bring it on, Jesus. I choose to suffer for you. It's like stepping into the gym and saying, you know what, this burns, but I embrace it because it's breaking down my muscle and it's going to be built up bigger, better, and stronger again. See, when we face pressure, we'll know how to handle it when it comes to us involuntarily because we've already been squeezed and now we've been filled and it's Jesus that comes out instead of the sinful nature. It's, instead of irritability, it's patience and understanding and empathy. It's Jesus that comes out. See, the, the fighter voluntarily sometimes will, will actually take punches to his abdomen. It's part of his training. I've seen it where he'll hang upside down and he'll do a sit-up. When he drops back down again, someone will bop, bop, give him a couple pops to his stomach and then he'll do another sit-up. What he's doing is he's taking a beating Because with every blow and every sit-up, he is strengthening his core. It's actually being broken down in the minute, in the moment, but it's going to be built back up stronger again. And if you want to win a battle, you need to be battle-tested. So church, if we're going to experience victory in our lives, both individually and in our families, as well as our church, fasting needs to become a discipline that we combine with our spiritual rhythm of prayer. We gotta have both. I wanna close with this scripture. You guys are, most of you are probably familiar with the story about Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the younger son. The oldest son gets the blessing and the main inheritance, right? But Jacob wanted it. So it says, one day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. So Esau was being squeezed. Now let's see what came out. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. Now listen to this. It says, this is how Esau got his other name Edom, which means red. I'll come back to that in a minute. It says, all right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. 
Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother, Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn son. Now let's go back to that part where it says this is how Esau got his other name. Esau was forever remembered as red, as the one who gave up his birthright for red stew. In other words, Jacob gave up a bowl for a blessing, but Esau gave up a blessing for a bowl. My question to you this morning, church, is which one are you? Would you stand with me? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray every heart would be like clay in your hand and we would open ourselves up to you today and invite you, God, to search us. I pray that you would reveal our current condition as it says in Hebrews 4.12, discern our thoughts and intents. As the psalmist says, search our heart and see if there's anything within us that offends you. And God, I pray that you would continue to inspire us and show us, God, what you wanna do through us during this time of fasting. And I pray over those, God, who have not yet joined in on this, God, that you would remind them, God, that this is for them that they are a part of this church. And this is what the church is doing together. And it is because of this time of focused prayer and fasting that the next great wave is gonna come through, Lord. And we're gonna begin to see things happen in this church we've only dreamed about. And Father, I just pray, God, not, not out of guilt, not out of manipulation that people would decide to do this, but they would do it out of a, sincere desire to be released of the things of this world that hold them down and hinder them and they would become a people unhindered casting aside the things that so easily entangle us as it says in Hebrews so that they can run free that this church would be a church that runs free a church God that operates in an overflow of power God, I pray that people would experience freedom and breakthrough and strongholds being broke off, addictions broken off, God, during this time of fasting. For that man that struggles with lust and pornography, Lord God, that as he fasts food and media and he, and he comes after you in prayer and seeks you in prayer, that that addiction will be broken off of him in Jesus' name. For the person who doesn't think they have a drinking problem, but they're holding on to it with white knuckles, not wanting to give it up. God, that you would set them free from reliance on other substances to bring them calm and peace at the end of a day. And they would know the blessing of possessing only you. That you would become the treasure that they truly treasure within. Father, do a mighty work in this church. Set us ablaze. Set us on fire for you. 
so that we can experience true life. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you just to find a secret place in here. Um, Rochelle's going to lead us in a song about the secret place. And we're just going to take a few extra moments to create a secret place. It could be in a dark corner. It could be at the back. It could be right where you are if you don't want to go anywhere. Maybe you want to get on your knees and, and lean at your chair. Find a spot and make this an intimate moment with Jesus. Make this a moment that you respond, that you make a commitment to join in on this journey of prayer and fasting, believing for breakthrough in your life, your family's life, your church's life, the city's life, the state's life, for the salvation of the world. God wants to do all of that, but it happens through our prayer. It happens when we humble ourselves and pray. Amen. So I encourage you to find a spot wherever you're comfortable and the team's going to lead us, Michelle's going to lead us in a song. Where will you run my soul? Where will you go when wells run dry? When the wind starts to blow, how are you going to keep this flame
Can you stand and sing that with us? Just right now, let's lift our hands to him. I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you more. I want to touch you. That's what we're praying for. That's why we're fasting. That's why we're seeking, God, to know you more. Because everything you want to do comes out of that place of fellowship, that place of intimacy. And so, Father, may intimacy be the first domino to fall in our lives, Lord God that we would be more in love with you. As Autumn said earlier, that we would have passion for you, like the passion that sent you to the cross and kept you enduring it to the end. Father, let our lives reciprocate 
with your power, the passion of Jesus. We thank you. We love you and we give you praise. We thank you for real life. We thank you for the privilege of sacrificing things for you so that we could possess you more fully, Lord. We love you. We praise you. And Father, I ask that you would go with us uh, today and this week, God, as we take those invitation cards, I pray, God, for divine appointments, God, that you would lead us to someone who's searching, that we maybe weren't even aware that they were searching, but someone who's hungry for truth, someone who needs Jesus in their life, someone who's desperate for salvation, for transformation, for healing, and may we go and carry your presence with us into those situations. Father, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. God is good. I challenge you to join us on this journey. Have an amazing day. We'll see you next time. Give somebody a hug.